Hello, everyone, and welcome to Phantom Video, an offset of the Phantom Galaxy podcast. We're going to be looking at home releases and movies from a perspective of the fan and the critic at the same time. And uh, my name is Nathan Bartleball, and I am joined by two co-hosts tonight, Dave Becker. Dave, how are you tonight? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> and Trey Whetstone. <laughs> Trey, how are you? I'm doing great, Nathan. That's a very emphatic hello, Dave, which was necessary. <laughs> yeah, well, said, it was necessary because of my previous hello, which hello? the will not hear. previous hello made me think that no one could hear me. So apparently I'm, I'm very insecure. Uh, but anyway, we're really excited. Anyone who's, who's been listening to Fam Galaxy has probably heard Phantom Video. We had two previous episodes where we did them as sort of uh, – uh, we did a couple episodes that we did them as sort of trial runs to see if there's interest. We got great responses for those episodes and just took us a little bit of time. Uh, we've been restructuring both shows to sort of make content uh, more streamlined so we can get it out at a more regular pace. And we were at a point where we felt we were ready to do that. So, uh, yeah, tonight will be the first sort of official episode of Phantom Video, and it is going to be uh, a regular part of Phantom Galaxy. It'll be releasing a uh, goals to release it every two weeks. We'll see how that goes. But the first episode of every month, we did want to do what we had done in our trial run, which is cover movies across the release schedule for each month. Cause there's a ton of stuff, uh, media that comes out every month. And it seems like that just increases, you know, uh, almost every month we've got new releases coming out and almost double, you know, I'm looking at what's coming out in April and we've got stuff coming out from vinegar syndrome and from Severin and arrow. And that's in addition to all the normal studios where you see stuff from Warner brothers and stuff like that. So very excited looking at the new releases and releases that are new of films that, you know, aren't new that are getting either a restoration or maybe a re-release and we'll be looking at all that tonight. What we've done to kind of streamline it from looking at every single title is that each of us have picked three releases we want to highlight. We're going to go round robin and discuss those. And then what we'll do is come back at the end and just uh, give us about 20 minutes to talk about anything that we see on the schedule that we're interested in or that may be a question mark or maybe it just looks weird and we want to talk about it. And uh, then we're going to wrap up and kind of discuss what you can expect to see in the next episode of Phantom Video. And we've also got a segment that's going to be interactive for fans of the show that we'll, we'll set up so that the listeners have an opportunity to kind of uh, give some feedback and be part of the conversation. And we'll do that at the end. But right now, we do want to look at these are the releases that are coming out, everything uh, in April of 2023. And we're going to go round robin, and each person is going to uh, start out with one of their choices uh it doesn't really matter honestly at this point i think whether it's an order or not in terms of when the release is but we will mention what the release date is trey do you want to go ahead and give your first pick oh mine are in order um <laughs> yes i will give my first pick here <laughs> so um my first pick and i wanted to kind of with these nathan is go a little under the radar with some of these picks that i've got um so my first one is out and as of the time of recording it's already out um, on April 4th was the release date, and that is Confess Fletch. And that is from Paramount Pictures. It came out last year in 2022. And this was one that I had heard about and had been kind of touted about with some of the um, best of the year things I had seen like earlier on in the year. I didn't really have much of a like an anticipation for it or expectation, but... 
Man, John Hamm, and I don't think we see quite enough of him in movies or anything these days, and I usually just love him when I do, but but he's in this, and he's playing the role of Fletch, who is kind of based off, there was the, what, the 80s movie with uh, Chevy Chase, but also based off of just a series of books, I believe. Um, but this movie is just a lot of fun. Um, the, the situations he gets himself into and getting out of them, and as he's kind of conducting this investigation, I was, I wouldn't, I don't want to say I was blown away, but um, definitely had my expectations blown away by this one. And I think I uh, mentioned that on the Phantom Galaxy top 10 from last year, but, or well, from this year, but 2022. So I, yeah, I am glad to see that this one did get a release because I, I was thinking it might've been on Amazon Prime for a while. I was worried maybe it wouldn't get a release, but it has a release here. I think it's definitely worth checking out keep your expectations in check with a paramount release as far as special features or anything like that. But um, yeah, that is my first pick for this evening. And that's a great call. I, I enjoyed the film too. We reviewed it back on Phantom galaxy several uh, months ago and we did talk about it again on the tray. I think you brought up and I believe it was on Victor's list as well. Uh, when we did our best movies of the year, the general movies list but uh, I think Bill had picked this one, and we reviewed it on the show. And I didn't even know it existed, honestly, Trey. Yeah. Like when, yeah. when he mentioned that there was a new Fletch movie, I was like, a new Fletch movie, and John Hamm is in it. And I agree. I think Hamm, right as uh, Mad Men was wrapping up, you kind of saw him try a couple things. Like uh, I think Million Dollar Arm was one of the movies that he made for Disney he was and a couple in Baby others. Driver. I know he was in Baby Driver. Yeah, Baby well. Driver. And all around yeah. the time he had some and, and he still shows up, but I I was kind of expecting him, I think, to sort of maybe latch on and pick and get another role that would sort of be a centerpiece role for him. And he never and that really quite happened. And I know this movie flew under the radar, but this is kind of a perfect role for him. He kind of absolutely that character in a way that I really love because the thing about him as an actor, I think, that's different, very different than Chevy Chase, is that Fletch's Chevy Chase is Chevy Chase wearing like a thin Fletch costume, right? You know, and in terms of his his style. Uh, I'm not necessarily knocking it in that film. It, it works fine. But you're watching Chevy Chase, you know, pretend to be Fletch. Whereas and I think Ham embodies that character where you have all the likability and the charisma of John Ham, but he's he really makes you realize this is a specific character. This is a this is a, a human being with his own motives and uh, ideas and everything apart from like a star. And I really think that's what makes this movie work. And I liked it better than the other Fletch movies. Really? Now, now is this, a, it's, is it a comedy? It's less comedy than you think, right? Nathan, okay. would you say that? But it does have comedy in it. Right. What is it's, it's a, com- it has comedic elements, but it is sort of the mystery and the kind of, uh, you know, light light detective story first and it's a character piece it's kind of what we were talking about dave when we talked about john sales and i i guess i got mentioned here that they one of the uh directors that dave and i are going to focus on as we do our episodes uh, where we kind of uh pick movies is we're going to talk about john sales movies yeah. and we were discussing just a little bit before and the john sales is a guy that he can almost he picks movies in all sorts of different locations and genres and when he does that he doesn't focus on the genre. He focuses on the people living in the middle of it and they kind of become organic. And that's kind of the, the quality of this film. He takes these characters 
and he, he, it's not John Sayles, but they take these characters and they develop them from the inside out as characters. And so the movie's really about this guy named Fletch and, and his life and what he's doing. And it's not, oh, it's a comedy where we need this number of laughs and we're going to send up these old detective tropes, which is kind of what I feel Fletch from the 80s was. It was almost it was. a yeah. up no, of no detective doubt about movies. It. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, my favorite Chevy Chase roles are when he plays the Eternal Optimist, like in the Vacation films and Funny yes, Farm. Yeah. I think really but good. But he's almost a sociopath underneath all of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, there definitely is. I mean, when he loses his shit, he loses his shit in those movies. <laughs> but um, I also thought, as sort of the wise ass, I thought he was good as Ty Webb and Caddyshack. And obviously as Fletch in those movies. It's very interesting to think of John Hamm taking over that role. And I'm very anxious to see this now because I'd like to see what he does with. I'm a big fan of Mad Men. That was one of my if I had to list like my top favorite shows from the late 29, late 2000s into the 2010s. Mad Men would be right up there with like, um, what was it? Lost and uh deadwood yeah yeah it's he's good and i think you're really gonna like this dave i think this will be right up your alley there were a couple of of smaller um you know again low-key mystery movies that i saw in in 2022 that kind of hooked me and i expected nothing from them it was this movie and there's a movie that bj novak did called vengeance and yeah that's good as well yep they drew me in with their story and their characters, and I cared about the resolution of the of the quote unquote mystery, even though that part doesn't quite matter that much. And I think yep. that's what's wonderful about this. I would gladly watch John Hammond another five or six Fletch movies, truthfully. Oh, absolutely, it's the same with um, Daniel Craig in the uh, Knives Out movies. I think yeah. he's done good, and I think John Hamm could do a similar thing. But Daniel yeah, Craig I, in the Knives Out movies is really cool. Yeah, um, yep. this I, is a I little bit flashy and more. It's almost like he's like the anti-Bond in those movies, <laughs> right? Yes, it's like Chris Evans, and I think the first one. What does he say? Oh, it's a uh, it's, CSI KFC or something. CSI KFC. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, I, I, and I love that. So, so yeah, I love. Uh, well, Daniel Craig, I think is just a great actor. I loved him even going back to Road to Perdition. Yes, he was very, very he, strong he's in that such film. Such a yeah. prick in that movie, but he was so good as it. But great choice, uh, Trey. Yeah, I think this is a movie that maybe slipped under the radar of a lot of people. But I, in some ways, I think it was a sleeper because I hear a lot of people talk about it. And again, yeah, Bill loved it. Uh, Victor loved it. You loved it. I loved it. Everyone I know who's seen it hasn't walked away and said, oh, that wasn't worth my time. Oh, I'm anxious to see it. I really am. So, Dave, how about your first choice? All right. Well, for my first choice, we're going to the beginning of April. And I'm trying to pull up that uh, schedule here. Uh, I think it's right in the first week of April, which means it might already be out. It is out. I just arrived okay. at my house today. It is out. It is out. And this is, well, let me just say, I remember the night that Star Trek The Next Generation premiered. Me too. I, it was, it was, might have been September of 87, which meant I was out of high school. You know, I graduated in uh, June of 1987. And I remember my mother said, can you come with me to the store? I want to pick up some things. And I said, okay, fine. But I want to get back because I want to see this new Star Trek series that's coming out. 
And that was the premiere night of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I fell in love with the show. They used to play on Saturday night, but I would catch it, the reruns, on Sunday morning. And I just fell in love with it. I really did. Everything about that show. I own every episode on DVD for Star Trek The Next Generation. And as far as the movies are concerned, when it came time to make the movies, eh, they weren't quite as successful. With one exception. And that is First Contact. I would rank First Contact right up there with Wrath of Khan as one of the greatest Star Trek movies ever made. Yes, I agree. Because you, when you think of the series, when you go to the series of Next Gen- The Next Generation, you had that whole uh, character arc of Jean-Luc Picard being abducted by the Borg and being assimilated. I think it was, it was shocking when it happened. Oh, it was shocking it was a, as hell. It was a season uh, finale. That it was. was. I think it was season three, going into four, where Jean-Luc Picard had looked, you know, he was there. He was like, I am, you know, whatever, Lacutus of Borg. And you will, you will surrender your ship. And Riker says, you know, Mr. Worf, fire. And then it ends on a cliffhanger. And you had to wait to the next season to find out what happened. But the whole thing about First Contact is they rescued Jean-Luc Picard. They rescued him from the Borg, but they never fully, he never fully lost the, the fact that he was taken over by them. That, that he was assimilated by them. It stayed with him throughout like his life. So when you get First Contact... And who is it? Alfred Woodard is in yeah, that movie. Yeah, Alfred as well? Woodard is in it. Yep. Yeah. You get the Borg with Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen. Incredible wow. performance. Amazing performance as the Borg Queen. I think it was Roger Ebert who said, you know, she she defined a new, a different idea of sexy that I hadn't previously considered, but I considered now. Yes, when that head with the spine is floating <laughs> down. She's almost she almost has the the poise of a Cenobite in that film. Uh, absolutely. No doubt. And you but you also get Jean-Luc Picard as Captain Ahab. Yes, essentially. He's yeah. going after the Borg for what they did to him. And Alfred Woodard, Woodard at one point, even in the movie, calls him Ahab. And says, Okay, Ahab, Ahab, chase your white whale. But then you also get, in First Contact, they go back into the past. Zephram Cochran, with First Contact, you know, where, where he launches his ship and reaches warp speed and catches the attention of another ship that happened to be passing by, which was a Vulcan ship. And they land on Earth, and that's the first time that Earth merges with an alien creature. And do you know that that is this day that we are recording that podcast? Is this for real? Is that real? Yes. <laughs> it's this day, 40 years in the future, that Zephram Cochran <laughs> launched his ship and drew the intention of the Vulcans. 
That's amazing. That's so awesome. And it was um, what James Cochran, I th- who played um, uh, Zephram Cochran. No, not James Cochran. Who was it? James Cromwell. Yeah, James Cromwell. He was who just sort of off a of babe Cochran. at that point. I think won the be- didn't he win a best supporting role for that film or was nominated at least? I, he was nominated at least, yeah. and he probably should have won. I thought he was great in that movie. Um, but that's what I love about this. That's what I love about First Contact. Is that you know when. They're looking at Earth. They're, they're, I don't know. There's like this ripple in time at the beginning of the movie. And Picard and, and Data and all are there. And they say, you know, the population of Earth, 240 million uh, or whatever it is, 7 billion, all Borg. And they immediately take themselves to the past. Yeah, they follow the wake. They follow the wake of the 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 wormhole that the board the opened up. Yes, they yeah. follow the wake of the wormhole to go to the past to change that future. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. This movie for me might be second after The Wrath of Khan as far as my favorite Star Trek films. It's definitely the best with the Next Generation crew. I do have a soft spot for Generations. I do. Because A, it has Malcolm McDowell in it. I like that whole thing with the ribbon. I think it's kind of cool. And yes, I know, Nathan, you were saying that they built up this whole thing of like Kirk versus Picard. Well, not or, versus, but there was no, the, with Kirk, yeah. Kirk and Picard. And it's nothing but sort of a fist fight for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had they had one of the greatest, I think. And, and sci-fi, let's face it, 94, sci-fi was still on the downturn. We still had like, that weird thing. And Trey and I talked about it in our 91 episode of Screaming Through the Ages where uh, Hollywood got into this, let's kill our sci-fi franchises dead if we can. I don't know yeah. why. You know, We're going to kill Ripley. We're going to kill Picard. We're going to do all these things. And, and it's funny because they do it very prematurely because 94 is right on the – cost right the same month that star trek generations comes up so does a movie called stargate stargate not a giant hit but it gave the roland emmerich and them enough money and clout that they could go make independence day which opens up only months before star trek i happen to like like independence day more than i like stargate i don't think stargate is like i watch stargate and just i don't connect with that movie i just can't connect with how do you take kurt russell you put him in a film and you just make him so stoic that he barely registers. Like that is exactly. mind-boggling. Exactly. I'm with you. I didn't like that one either. Yeah. yeah. I there were things I loved the concept of this ancient Egyptian civilization being influenced by like aliens. But you read the synopsis and you think, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And Kurt Russell was in it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I think the reason I connected with the trailers and was so excited for it was because we'd had so little sci-fi at that point. Sci-fi, big epic sci-fi of the of the space opera sort. And so but Independence Day is not a great movie either, but it did. Oh, let me tell you something. When Bill Pullman gives that speech at the end, I'm telling you, I well up. I love that scene. We are not going to go quietly into the night. Today is our Independence Day. I know it's hokey as shit, but I well up every time I see that scene. What it and did. I love the scene where Randy Quaid, hello <laughs> boys, I'm home. Yeah, and I think what the movie did well was it connected a kind of cheerful, cheesy, um, optimistic science fiction with because we were getting really dour science fiction time. I mean, the last big science fiction movie that was probably good 
was 12 Monkeys a few months before. And that's a yeah. dark, well, dark yeah, film. Terry, well, Terry yeah. I mean, it's a great film, but it's a dark yeah. film. Independence Day, I don't think, is a great film, but it connected the audience back to here are state-of-the-art special effects. Now, actually, there's a sci-fi movie. We're all over the place on this. But there was a sci-fi movie that came out a few months before Independence Day called The Arrival with Charlie Sheen that I think is also a very good movie. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't wow. seen it? It's, gr- it's really good, uh, Dave, I think. Uh, Sheen is, you know, so-so. But it, this is uh, David Tui, the same director of Pitch Black, and this was his movie he made before Pitch Black. Oh, nice. And it's a, it's a, it's a story uh, where the very opening scene is this woman, and she's standing in a – she's in this parka and a suit, and she's standing uh, – and she's just sort of bewildered in the middle of a giant field of sunflowers. But then it pulls back, and you see that the sunflowers are in the middle of the Arctic – like ice cap and you you, there's a hole there in the ozone and what's happened is it's almost you've got a bit of a they live where the aliens have been among us the whole time terraforming earth but uh they had a great cast it was a really fun movie uh and so you had that kind of big uh, b movies from the 50s coming back as big special effects movies and then you get first contact what i loved about first contact is that while it had the action scenes that we'd never really seen of that scale, because now we had full-blown CGI, the battle scenes in uh, First Contact and the action scenes are bigger than you've ever seen in a Star Trek film to date. They they really are. Yeah. That's one of the things about First Contact that I love. And isn't, isn't it the first appearance of Robert Ricardo? It is. As the, uh, as the, uh, what is it? The um, uh, holographic, holographic doctor. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might've, that might've been, this might've been his first appearance. So wasn't his first appearance. Voyager. Yeah. He had been a Voyager was already on. So he had been a Voyager, but it was, so this was his first cameo in the films. And when you see him, you recognize him because he's been on Voyager, but the yeah. reason he can be on this uh, show or in this film is because he's the stock doctor that they have. All the doctors he's, he's look the like Robert Picardo. Yes. <laughs> he just sort of pops up and said, you know, hello, how can I help you? You know, and they, but, and they tell him, hold off these. Oh, wait, um, that's not my in my programming. But what works about this film is the Star Trek films have always had this moment where they diverge and you've got two sort of stories. And you've always got the people on the ground and the people in the ship, usually. And yeah. uh, the stuff works the the two diverging stories in this one are both like the a story like they're both the top-notch story like it's clearly meant to be about picard's journey yeah and that's really good that's Uh, the part of it that i love yeah that's the part of it i love that that is that is picard against the borg who had captured him and he's like no we're taking them down and alfred water's like blow up the damn ship and he's like no I won't do it. And he's like, okay, hey, Hab. We got to go make him pay. White yeah. And it's his need for revenge. And it goes darker than any of the Star Trek films had done at that point, even the elements of Khan that were darker. And so right. uh, then you've got that side story, though, about Zephyr and Cockrum, who was in oh, the original so show. That's what I love is uh, Kirk and Spock find Cochran on a planet in, in one of the first early episodes in the first four or five really? episodes he's on a planet there with an alien life form and they find him there and uh he doesn't want to leave and they don't understand and he has formed a relationship with this entity 
on this planet. And it's interesting to see how they pay attention to the details of that episode and build it into this guy here who's overwhelmed by the idea that this ragamuffin dude who's living out with the rest of ragtag humanity, that he might be the future. You know, he's right. he's playing magic carpet ride in his busted shit. Wasn't, wasn't there an episode of Enterprise where Zephram Cochran, it was like the alternate universe? It may have been. That would have been where those this Vulcans movie. came off the ship and he shot them dead. <laughs> I didn't see that, but I didn't oh, follow I, I Enterprise. Think it was. I think it might have been Enterprise. <laughs> He's like, come on, everyone, let's board their ship. Wow. <laughs> that is very different. But you can see that in there. So the humanity that was always a part of Star Trek is in here. The exploration, which I always feel gets downplayed in the films, was, you know, it, it played a part here. But you did get some really state-of-the-art action. It wasn't the elevated action that happens when J.J. Abrams takes over. But I like this right. better. I like this movie because it lets room for the characters to breathe and the ideas to breathe. I'm you, I think first contact might be the second best star Trek movie ever made. I think, I think you're right. As we're talking about, it, I think you've convinced me. Last thing I want to say quickly is Dave, have you seen Picard yet? Oh God, I'm dying to see Picard. So I, my father told me eh, it's mediocre. So you, but something about it just leads me to believe that's not true. I want to see Picard because I keep seeing that all these characters appear. And now I just saw a Tim Russ post on Twitter that Tuvok from Voyager is appearing in oh, Picard. Oh, and all the old. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think we've had this. People know my opinions on some of these recent reboots and people getting upset about them. I set aside Picard to a certain extent and said, okay, I'll let them – they've got enough of this original cast back. I, I kind of hold it in a little bit different timeline. But they really, to me, it's more action-packed. It doesn't have the tone and the gentleness maybe. But they try to weave these stories together. Now, I haven't seen seasons two and three. I've been saving to watch my family. But I watched one, and one follows along the Borg plot line, and it intertwines oh. the Borg plot line with the relationship that – Picard and Data had, they always had, and it forces oh, wow. Picard to deal with the hatred that he's ex always experienced with the Borg in a, in a, in a greater way. So yes. plot threads, I remember when Deep Space Nine came on, Cisco hated Picard because yeah. he killed his wife. Yes, and so you get to see Picard and, and, and for the sake of Data, essentially have to work to not redeem just the Borg, but maybe all sentient artificial intelligence and so wow. that it's a i liked it i mean i know a lot of people didn't but you have all kinds of jerry ryan come back you had uh and we should mention that jerry right ryan coming back i remember back in the 90s when voyager was popular and i was i was with a, my, a friend of my bro a co-worker of my brothers we went over there for new year's eve and we were talking about star trek he's like oh i'm a big fan of star trek i really like it I like Voyager. I like all those episodes. And I said, oh, yeah. And then you have those Jerry Ryan is the Borg. He's like, oh, my God, Jerry Ryan is the Borg. My God, is she hot as hell? <laughs> she might be the hottest Star Trek character I've ever seen in my life. But and the fact that she is now part of Picard, I love that. She's back. She's hot. She likes women. I'm just saying. It's... <laughs> 
but it's got a great cast. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I, and they do tie the threads and, and Jonathan Frakes who directed this film, and I think did a great job with it yeah. does, does show up as Riker in that first season. And he's back apparently in season three, along with LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn and a lot of other people as well. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love the, I, I, you know what? I want to see Picard. I really do. The, the fact that it brings all those characters back, that's awesome. So we'll have to we'll have to see that and then watch it review. And, and Trey may have fallen asleep on us here, so I just, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gone. You guys, I don't know that Trey is such a big Star Trek. <laughs> you fan. should see this movie, Trey. I think you could watch it, and I think it fills in enough of the. I, I tell you, you know what, Trey, watch Wrath of Khan and watch. Um, uh, Star Trek Nemesis. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. No, don't watch Nemesis. <laughs> you know what? Frontier. When I was in the theater, I saw Nemesis, Nemesis in the theater. I did too. I fell asleep. And the last 10 minutes, the reel broke. <laughs> and they said, oh, I'm sorry, we have to end the screening. And I remember thinking to myself, eh, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. But this is a very good movie. I have the 4K sitting here. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited uh, to, to break it out, even more so after uh, Dave waxing poetic on it, because it, it is a great movie, and it it really puts the acting kind of front and center, which I appreciate. Yes, I, I do too. I think this might be uh, Patrick Stewart's greatest performance. And you know what? I liked his performance in Generations. The scene with his nephew, when he finds out what happened to his nephew, I like that. I like John. Lu- I, I like Patrick Stewart's performance in Generations, but his performance in First Contact may be his greatest Picard performance. Yeah, I think that's possible. He has some pretty good, strong moments on the show, but yeah, he gets he gets to channel a darker current that they always sort of Definitely. evaded a bit. Definitely, he is yeah. Captain Ahab going after his white whale in that movie. So that one is out now and you can, everyone who wants to can pick it up and it's at a pretty good price. I will say this. We've just ragged on like every single other next generation movie, but they do have a set out and I think it's on sale right now where it's the four of those in the 4k format. And yeah. those four are generations, uh, first contact insurrection, which Franks did come back and direct, but in my mind, the script just wasn't there. It was not no, a strong it, just, it wasn't there. I remember um, seeing that on the big screen as well. Effects and, like, and, ah. and cast were, 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 were fine and were there for it, but it's just a it's like a, a giant episode and it's not even a good episode. Is what it is. It's goofy as shit. And then when we get to Nemesis, that whole that whole yeah. plot line with Data and and Captain Picard and everything, and yeah. Tom Hardy, uh, which which doesn't register at all. I didn't even realize Tom Hardy was in that film until recently. Tom Hardy is in what movie? He's the is villain. He? He's the villain. He's uh the the Praetor Shinzon, the villain of Nemesis. Are you kidding me? No, that's Tom Hardy. <laughs> wow, that makes it even shittier. <laughs> The and also the last thing I'll say, it, they picked a different director. I and and the it, the biggest problem I had is it doesn't look like a Star Trek movie anymore. It no, just looks it, like it, a really I, I, crappily edited like a two early two thousands action film. I remember sitting in the theater watching Nemesis, and when that last reel broke, and they said, "I'm sorry, we have to end the movie here," and I didn't give a shit. I said. Yeah, I think the next generation is done with their movies. And they were. <laughs> and they were. That was the last one. Yeah. But that said, I would have loved to see a movie with Deep Space Nine and Voyager. 
at least one with yeah. both of them. Well, I, I'm anxious now. I think when on Phantom Galaxy, I want to put some time aside to have a segment where you watch Picard and we'll review it, uh, Dave, because I'm very yes, excited I now for you to Picard. do that. I really do. Um, because I, I, I'm such a fan of Next Generation. I really am. And uh, because it, it does bring through a lot of the plot uh, lines. So you can you can pick those up now. My first choice is, uh, and I keep this kind of quick, the Maltese Falcon is finally on 4K and oh, Blu-ray. Wow. John, John so Houston's cool. uh, film version of Dashiell Hammett's classic story uh and it's a it's a noir with humphrey bogart and it's really you know you i i knew a lot about the maltese falcon just because i grew up watching looney tunes cartoons right you know you'd have daffy duck as a sort of facsimile of of sam spade and he would be encountering all these creepy villains and some of them sounded like peter laurie and peter and um sydney greenstreet and I knew most of the plot of the Maltese Falcon from watching these cartoons, <laughs> but uh, this is a very iconic film. But I wonder, Dave and Trey, do you think that uh, an audience has maybe never seen this will even connect to it or, or even be familiar with the, the very basic plot? I, I wonder. You know, um, so I can answer that because yeah, ahead, I watched it for the first time last year. And I think it, and this might be blasphemy, but I think it's my favorite Bogart film. And I really do like it a lot. I think it's a. I, I like it a lot too. There's that scene in the movie where Sam Spade, and Sam Spade is not a good guy. Very few of Bogart's characters are a good wife. guy. He is screwing his partner's wife in this movie. But there's that scene where Sam Spade, um, what is it? What was it Elijah Cook Jr.? Yep. Yeah, his character. He has this scene where he has this like dramatic moment and he stands up to him and he's like really nasty to him. He's angry at him. And then he immediately turns and walks away and you see a smile on his face where he's like, yeah, I played that scene perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I think I'm with you, Trey. I think this might be, it might rank up there with Casablanca and the Petrified Forest as one of ha uh, Humphrey Bogart's greatest performances. And the one I'll add, because I just saw for the first time last year with you, Dave, was In a Lonely Place. Oh, um, In a Lonely Place, yes. Yeah. yeah, well, he plays this guy who you think is like this total creepoid, but he's not. Right, and there's a lot. That, so, but what's interesting about that film is they give, there's a lot more sort of dramatic meat to work with, and they get very down deep in the characters. What's cool about the Maltese Falcon is all these other characters that they surround them with, like that rogues gallery villain thing that pops up in comic books and like Batman and stuff like that. I mean, that stuff is descended from films and stories like this one. Yeah. And, and Sydney Greenstreet is like the, the amount of menace. Was this Sydney Greenstreet's first movie or was Casablanca's first movie? What year is this one? This is. No, I think the Maltese Falcon yeah. might have been his first because I think Casablanca was 42. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And the Maltese Falcon was 41. And this one, yeah, this was before. And, and the amount of, of menace and overbearing power that he commands just from that chair, <laughs> just from the, yeah. the, just him and the back of that chair. And it, 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 he, he has no, obviously, he has no big action scenes or anything where he does anything more menacing than right. emote 
sitting there in that chair. And I mean, Peter Laurie, like all of the oh, different. God. Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie in Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. You know, when Peter Laurie, what was that Peter Laurie movie he did? Mad Love. Yes. That Charlie Chaplin, was it Charlie Chaplin who said he was the greatest actor of all time? I think so. I in, think he was. In yeah. Mad Love. I don't remember who said it. I think it was Charlie Chaplin who said Peter Laurie was the greatest actor of all time in Mad Love. He was better in both Maltese Falcon and Casablanca. Uh, agreed. And I'll give him and I give him credit too for a movie earlier than these, M. Fritz Lang's M. Oh god damn, yes. <laughs> M is a masterpiece. And he's so that haunting, is a very like different Peter sort Lurie of character. Playing, that is, that's Peter Lorre playing like a, a, a loathsome character. Yeah. What I love it's is like you still feel affection for him. You yeah, well you you definitely feel empathy and and you worry for him because you know there's a lot of people out to get him and but he's still he's a horrible I mean he's a monster he's a person he's a terrible yeah. character and uh, but it, but it, but I think that's what's fascinating that kind of nuance in a 1930s film you wouldn't see and and Laurie does give a lot of nuance to his characters I but while still making them sort of like these outsized people and think of how iconic his performance is I remember and I know you were on Dave when we did we talked and so was um, uh, Jay Piles we talked about Dark City and yeah. uh, I've heard recently Kiefer Sutherland say one of his favorite roles he ever did was in Dark City and he placed wow. this character Doctor Schrieber who I swear to you. Uh, and I remember Sutherland being on the talk shows at the time and saying he was channeling 100% Peter Laurie in that film. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that you doctor, see it. You yeah. can see it in that movie. The breathless way he speaks, the sort of eccentricity. And what I love about this film, and I put it on for just a couple minutes today just to be able to say, hey, this, the 4K is stunning. About 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, I guess it was maybe 2010, they released this on Blu-ray, I think. And it looked great then. But they have made – I am – I remember the days of um, Laserdisc, Dave. You remember that these movies would come on Laserdisc, and these movies have been around for 50 years, and people would just be in awe at how better they look. Now, the jump was very significant. You know, you're talking about, yeah. here's my VHS and now my Laserdisc. But I am loving seeing these old films each time a new format comes out, and you have the significant jump. And they find a way, because it's not just the jump in the technology. It's the restoration ability, you know, 10 years will go by. Now we got to restore it because it's going on 4K. And the new restoration allows you to see this picture even more so than you did previously. And I'm loving finding these movies and thinking I've never seen the Maltese Falcon look like this. I've never noticed how deep and emotional those darks are and those that 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 uh, noir sensibility. I mean, noir was a was a type of story, but it became a word to define the look of a film because of movies like this. Well, it's also one of the, and I know it's not the first, but one of the most prominent examples of the MacGuffin being used in film, right? I know Hitchcock was doing it earlier, but that's a prominent part of this film as well. In a very cool, sort of very symbolic yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love it. Um, I'd say this is one, this is a must own. Go out and get it. And if you've never seen it, I'm looking forward to showing it to my kids because I want to see how they respond to this very, on, a, on the surface, a very basic cut and dry story. But like you said, Dave, the nuances of the characters, the the bad guys are not always as bad as they seem. They're not as powerful and evil as they seem. Uh, sometimes they seem more weak and helpless and the hero is not what he seems. Exactly. So can't recommend this one enough. I think most of the special features, there's a 4K. The Blu-ray is actually, that comes in the pack, is the same one from 2010. But 
it's worth it for this 4K upgrade. If you've got 4K, I just like Casablanca a couple months ago, this is a must-own. Uh, this movie's never looked or sounded better than it does in this format. And this is another one that's out right now. Yep, great pick, Nathan. Trey, how about you? Where did we all pick? Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's weird. We all picked <laughs> the first week with our first choices, but um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. Trey, what is your second choice? Yeah, so my second choice will release on April 11th. Now, this one's a little bit different, and you guys were talking about Star Trek earlier, and this kind of fits into a similar mold, I think. Um, but this is the anime series Legend of the Galactic Heroes, the new thesis in Season 3. So just to give a quick rundown on what that is, this is a sci-fi kind of political war drama series, and... This started out in the, I think, the late 80s as a, um, it was a very long-running series, but it didn't have a very good release in the U.S. I don't think it ever caught on, but, and I've never seen the original, but it is known as a very much beloved series. Uh, now, what they did in 2018 was they rebooted this series with um, a season of this, and it basically takes place between these two rivals who are... Um, uh, Reinhard von Musel and Yang Wenli, who are pretty much leaders in two different military empires. And it's their struggle against each other in this long running war and their tactical moves and everything like that. It goes into that. So I can't recommend this one enough. This is one of my favorite new series and season three just released not too long ago. What they do with these is I think season one was a series, but then season two and three were movies. And they basically broke these movies down into longer format for two more seasons of a show. But they're essentially big kind of space opera stuff that's um, pretty brutal and pretty good when it gets to like the tactical stuff and it kind of pulls you in. So I know neither of you have probably check these out, but they're very good space opera. It makes for a very good space opera. If you're looking for that type of watch. No, this sounds very cool. And I'm i uh, I'm very interested in this. And I haven't watched a lot of anime recently, but I'm always looking for ones that have a nice, strong story. How is this tray on in terms of the audience? Uh, because that can always be tricky. Like I, I I'm always looking for ones to watch yeah. with my kids. So, I'm trying to re remember what um, the violence level is. And I think the violence would be the concern. But then again, I, I know your kids have seen a lot of stuff and it's much more like animated violence. Um, I can't remember how I know that's the big flag, okay, Nathan. Yeah. Um, there's no like sexuality, anything like that. And I, there might be some language in it as well. So but. you're thinking this is probably closer to like a PG-13 maybe rating wise. I'm thinking so there's violence, but you can only get so violent. I feel like with this and this isn't one of the more violent shows I've seen. So uh, it might be something you show to them. It might be something you screen a few episodes and see, because I honestly haven't watched it in a, a few months since the new season came out. It but. sounds so like it sounds it sounds cool. And it sounds like something that might be up there. I I will. I will do what you said. And I'll screen probably a couple episodes. And I think this is a good time. I will mention we'll talk about a little at the end of the show, but uh, that Trey will be bringing a regular segment uh, every other Every other episode where we don't do this, where we go through the new releases, uh, Trey will be having a segment where he's going to talk about 
uh, anime series and anime films and things like that. That will be now. Dave and I still talk anime from time to time over on the Illustrated Fan. But I think, Trey, it's safe to say I think you're more aficionado of it than than either of us are. Yeah, yeah, I want to kind of do some things that are I think people like, I don't know, but very much seasonal reviews and keeping up with the new stuff as well as like digging into some old stuff when I can get people to talk about it. And I'll tell you, Nathan, I just looked this up, um, a handy site that I use called Anime Planet and content warning. It has violence, but it doesn't say like, you know, gore or explicit violence or anything. So as far as I can remember, I don't remember it being that bad. So anyway. I mean, these Just days, the Star, the Star Trek, I mean, the Star, Star, well, Star Trek, the Picard show and the uh, and uh, Star Wars, you know, they, they, they get plenty violent these days. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Very, very cool. Uh, Dave, how about your second pick? All right. My second pick is a movie from 1976. And it's coming out, I want to say April 25th on Blu-ray. And it is. The big bus. Nice. The tagline, at last, the first disaster movie where everyone dies laughing. <laughs> the thing about the big bus is, and this was from 1976, it was directed by James Frawley, and it starred Joseph Bologna, Stocko Channing, John Beck, and a, a slew of others. This is... Airplane, four years before Airplane. Really? I've never seen this movie. I'm telling you. I watched this on cable many times back in the day. And the idea is there is this big bus called the Cyclops. <laughs> and is the world's first nuclear-powered bus. <laughs> A vehicle so huge that it houses its very own swimming pool. Under the supervision of Professor Baxter, played by Harold Gould. It's the Snowpiercer of buses. <laughs> yes, it really is. It, it is. This is the Snowpiercer of buses. That is the best way to put it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Harold Gould and his daughter Kitty, played by Stocker Channing. The Cyclops is being prepared for his maiden voyage. A nonstop run from New York to Denver. Naturally... There are those who want to see the project fail, including the head of the of a large conglomerate, Jose Ferrer, who orders his dim-witted brother, played by Stuart Margolin, to plant a bomb that will destroy Cyclops before it ever hits the open road. Let me tell you something. I remember watching this movie on cable back in the day. And uh, Joseph Bologna and, oh God, who's the other actor in it? He was in Used Cars. He was in, um, oh, God, um, uh, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. Damn it. But anyway, Joseph Bologna and his co-host uh, and, his, and his co-pilot, they're piloting this bus, this nuclear-powered bus, down the road. And there's a scene where they're trying to reach, like, the highest speed they can. And it breaks the wind speed. And Joseph Bologna says, we're breaking wind at 65 miles per hour. <laughs> God, Garrett Graham. That's who I'm thinking, Garrett Graham. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. I yeah was... Garrett Graham plays his, his co-pilot in this movie. It has Sarah, Sarah, um, Sarah Kellerman in it. This is a, like a sort of a star-packed movie. 
But it, this is airplane four years before airplane. This is a This is like crazy, wild humor. Has this movie been on any formats recently? Because I, I haven't even I've, heard of I've, it. I own it on DVD. I, okay. Yeah, I haven't and heard of that I one either, Dave. Up. When I went to my local CVS and I was looking through their use section and for use for like $6, they had big bus. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm God. sure it's an amazing transfer, right? DVD well, to CVS. No, I can't say it's an amazing transfer. Yeah. But I, I think the Blu-ray will be a I mean, this is Kino Lorber, so there's a great chance it's going to look really good. Oh, Kino Lorber is is blowing it out of the water. And you just, I don't know, maybe if they take note, Kino Lorber, Dave sold at least one copy of this movie already because I'm buying this one. <laughs> I mean, my son loves the spoof movies and he loves disaster movies and he loved Airplane. So, and the idea that this, I'm reading it, the 75 ton bus with the nuclear yes. power. <laughs> yes. Like piloting down the road. This is Airplane. This is definitely airplane four years before airplane came out and this and i love airplane i love airplane my father took my brother and and myself and a friend of ours to go see airplane back in 1980 and we laughed hysterically to the point that one of us pissed our pants but you're and not going to reveal not, which one it was not me it was not me <laughs> it was either my brother or my friend but one of us laughed so hard that we pissed our pants <laughs> The big bus is airplane four years before airplane. Well, I'm I'm very interested in seeing it, and that's what I love about these sort of bringing these old releases because I'm finding movies all the time that I have truly never heard of and never seen, or I have heard of and seen, but I only saw them one time, and most people probably think I dreamed them when I try to tell them about it. So it's nice right. to see these movies pop up. The big bus is, and I love that this kind of goofy a screwball movie from this era. Uh, this is what I think it, these it, movies it, were at their best. It really is. It was directed by James Frawley. But I'm telling you, this could have been from the makers of Airplane. It truly could. And when it's interesting that this one didn't quite, obviously didn't hit the same way because I've never, yeah. again, never heard of it. No. It's not, and b bottom line, it's not as good as Airplane. Well, yeah, Airplane, yeah. for me, is such a great movie. But The Big Bus, is not, it's not far off. There are moments in this movie that will have you laughing out loud. They really will. This is like a madcap, insane sort of comedy. And I think it, it deserves a wider audience than it's ever had. It, and so, yes, this is coming out at the end of April. The big bus on Blu-ray. Definitely pick it and up. And here's an attempt to sell some more tickets. James Frawley, also the director of the Muppet movie. Yes. Oh, wow. I right. didn't even know that. So maybe wow. not. He directed three years later. He directed the Muppet movie. Yeah. And wow. uh, which is a mad is awesome. screwball movie spoof. And I love that one. So yeah, that's did a great. lot of that's TV. Cool. And in fact, I'm, he did it. He, he directed some episodes of a TV show. I'm sure only I remember, although if anyone remembers it, it'll be you, Dave, called Wizards and Warriors. That was an attempt to have a prime time fantasy show in the early yes. 80s oh, wow. <laughs> i remember and i was i loved it just because there was nothing like that on tv and right. then, uh, i mean it was terrible but <laughs> right it but it didn't matter because it was there was nothing like it 
Yep. So it could suck as much as it wanted to suck because it had no competition. Yeah. I mean, heck, I was even watching what was that one that had like uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. in it, I think Auto Man. <laughs> I remember watching Shields and uh, what was it? Shields and Yo Yo. All right. You lost was, Shields and Yo Yo. No, was it Shields and Yo Yo? It was uh, no, it, was it Yarnell and Yo Yo? I don't know what it was, but. John Shuck played Yo-Yo. He was a he was a robot. Oh yeah, nice. He was a robot detective. Wow. I don't even remember what the hell. We was could that. have a whole show about that. When I was a kid. Yeah. The question is, who out there remembers Manimal? <laughs> Which was a show, and it was around the same time as all these shows. Early '80s, the guy could turn into animals like Panthers and stuff. And they mostly yes! do. I remember the opening credits for that movie. Yes, the, for that show. Those that, that, they, they made Stan it like Winston. very dramatic. Yeah, even though it was goofy as hell, they made it very dramatic. They did. Well, Stan Winston did the special effects, so I think that's why oh, wow. it stood out like that. So um, nice. So the big bus, and then my. Number two movie is really not uh, one movie, but it's a whole set, which is his Shout Factory's Jackie Chan collection, the second collection. So they had one that came out earlier this year and they collected a lot of his films. I want to say it was from like the 70s to the 80s. And he had a lot of films in that era, uh, maybe some that people in the state side, unless you're a really big fan of martial arts films, might not have have seen. Uh, but I think people are probably more familiar with his output in the 80s and 90s for one reason, because a lot some of the movies he was doing in that time frame weren't being released here in the States until the late 90s. And I don't know if you remember that there was a moment when suddenly like everyone rediscovered Jackie Chan again. And like I think, All of a sudden, Jackie Chan became a thing. Yeah. Like and, and as far as American audiences knew, he was making these movies right now. But like Rumble in the Bronx was the first of them. And he was a stunt double for Bruce Lee in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And he had a lot of, he was very prolific in that time too. This volume two is covers 1983 to 1993. And it's got a lot of just uh, silly but fun movies on it. Winners and Sinners is on their Wheels on Meals, which is ridiculous. I mean, this is him and his buddies running a food truck in Spain and just nonsense happening. <laughs> the Protector is a film. He was his United States like debut, which did come out in the 80s. And it was he wow. played a cop alongside Danny Aiello, of all people. Danny Aiello. Oh, wow. uh, and it was um, it's, it's not it's not terribly successful, uh, I think, in at least the American cut that I saw, because it's putting him in a lot of American cop action drama when what you want to see Jackie Chan do is he's wild over the top because uh, he he's a physical kinetic presence, right? Like when you look at Jackie Chan, you really think of more along the lines of a Buster Keaton or a Fred Astaire than you do think of a Bruce Lee. I think because of right. all of the pageantry and all of the like uh, choreography that comes with what he does. And, you know, I, I think that when people were comparing him, they went to contemporary uh you know, performers of that elk, uh, and, and they weren't necessarily comparing him to fellow martial artists. And no, I think I think Jackie Chan has sort of surpassed them all. Yeah, yeah. I think he's sort of like at the top of his game right now. And I'm thinking of the Drunken Master films. Yes, which were will probably be when they do a third set. I think that Drunken Master movie, that's another one, came out in the 90s, but was released stateside in theater. Yeah, there, there was the Drunken Master from the 70s. Yes. That was the legend of Drunken Master from the 80s. Yeah. He made several Drunken Masters. The movies. one that was released as Legend of Drunken Master in theaters that I think Miramax grabbed and released in like 2001. That was like yes. the second or third film, actually, in the series. It, really was. it, it wasn't yeah. the first. 
because he was in a drunken master film in the late 70s. Yeah, that that drunken master film, I believe, is on the first set of these, the one that runs the 70s. Oh, so nice. this is Jackie Chan Volume 2. So it does have The Protector, which is a fun movie, but it's a little different because it is a U.S. production. Twinkle, yeah. Twinkle, Lucky Stars, which is back to the silliness. Then he did a series of movies. He did Armor of God, where he's almost doing like a like a somewhere between like a Clive Cussler and an Indiana Jones style story uh, where he's an adventurer and um, it's armor of God. And that's the one where he fell off of a a wall or something and nearly split his head open. That's the thing with Jackie Chan. His, he said one of his biggest influences was Harold Lloyd from the silent era. And when you look at Harold Lloyd's movie, safety last, with Mac, which Mac Robbins and I covered on a recent episode of Considering the Cinema, he said that Harold Lloyd was his biggest influence, even more so than like Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, because of the daredevil nature of Harold Lloyd climbing that building in safety last. Jackie Chan said that was one of his biggest influences. Safety so, last could be Jackie Chan's entire motto. Yeah, it really is. And and Jackie Jackie Chan for me is like sort of the epitome of Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, there's so much energy, there's so much fun to be had. So much. The police story movies. Yes. And here he's got one that's in the same sort of vein, but because he can also they'll put him in some of these movies and he gives, he's given a greater chance to act. Some of these movies are very light and very silly. Armor of God two is on here. Armor of God two's like subtitle name is operation Condor. And I don't know if you remember Dave, but this one was released to theaters in like 1996 as just operation Condor. Oh, wow. and the thing I remember, I don't, about, I don't think I saw that. Wow. The, if you did see, you remember it. Cause there's a fight scene toward the end where they just throw him and his adversaries into a wind tunnel. Oh, God, yes, I do remember. You will never forget that scene. No, absolutely not. You will not forget that. As far as I can tell, that's exactly how that thing was filmed. There were no special effects. I don't even know that there were wires. There were Jackie Chan and a bunch of guys in a wind tunnel flying and hitting each other. And when they try, when they could get in a kick or a punch, they would. There's also crime story here. That's a really good one. And that's the one where they give yes. him a darker backstory. And he, he does a little bit more emoting than you're used to in city hunter. Movies like glorious movies like that, where, where Jackie Chan just sort of, uh, I think, I don't know. I always felt, ja- I love Jackie Chan. I always felt he should have been a bigger star than he was. When I think he's, I think where he was is he was always the big star in China over yes. here, they didn't yes. quite utilize. He should have him. been a bigger star over here than yeah. he was. Because when he started being in American films, they were pairing him with another comedian. Like, oh, here's the tuxedo, and here's, you know, here's Jackie here's Chan, Tucker, Rush and, Hour, and, and, and Shanghai Hour Night, big yeah. one for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he was good in that. There's no doubt he was good in that. But it's not the Jackie Chan of those Hong Kong films. Because there's a fearlessness and, and probably a, uh, you know, a disregard for life in those films <laughs> behind oh the camera. Um, the stunts he would do in those movies. The best part of these films most of the time are the, are the, are the outtakes. Because the outtakes at the end when you see yes. the stunts he's doing, you're like, are you freaking insane? Yeah, I remember he did one called First Strike. And I remember there's a scene where he kicks somebody into this. Uh, into a giant pool of like, I guess those were sea urchins. 
And in the outtakes, a guy is running with these sea urchins sticking inside of him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You think you, you, you just oh, don't there, the there, there are some outtakes from these movies with, with Michelle Yao. Yes. So the same. Trying to jump a bike onto a moving train. Right. This same the same day that this comes out. So I'm I'm excited to pick this up. I got a little bit of birthday cash sitting around now. It's just So I'm going to pick this one up on too. But also on the same day, a, and I, I, let me take a quick look. This is Shop Factory that puts this out. I have their, uh, I have a lot of Shop Factory, but I do have Shop Factory. They did a Sonny Chiba set. I don't have the first Jackie Chan, but the Sonny Chiba set is really oh, well done. So Sonny it, Chiba is, is yeah, is, I think I have that set too. Yeah, it was I'm relatively newer. It was I, back I, in the, open, I broken open the first Sonny Chiba set. I happen to own the first Sonny Chiba set that went out of print. That had oh, okay. virus and Golgo and um, what was it? Bullet Train on it. All right, so that's a different one. Yeah, this is the, Yeah, that's like from years yeah. and years ago. But the same day that that one comes out, and that's Shout Factory, 88 Films is putting out Police Story 3, Super Cop. And Super Cop is the movie that they released here stateside in summer of 1996, around the same time Independence Day was coming out, that Super Cop was released here, again, like it was a brand new movie. But it was really Police Story 3. Michelle Yeoh is in that film. That's the one where they're jumping the motorcycle. That's the one where she's trying to jump a bike onto a moving train. And there is a scene in that film where she flips up and she is hanging off the side of the train and she swings back and there's an overpass sign and she, bam, smacks right into it and bounces off and falls down. Um, Michelle Yeoh, best best actress winner, Michelle Yeoh. Yes. Thank goodness. That's so awesome that I can say that. That is, that is incredible. Um, I love it. I love that she won Best Actress. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and also Star Trek alum, Michelle Yeoh, for uh, – Yeah. Yeah. So she's amazing in this film. Super Cop is one of my favorites right up there with Drunken Master, in my opinion. This is Police Story 3. Uh, I'm going to pick this one up too. They both come out April 25th. Uh, and there's a lot. Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung and all these guys are getting a lot of love in terms of the Sammo re-releases. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, the Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen, you, you want to see some top-notch Donnie Yen. He is in John Wick 4 right now. He is amazing. He steals the show. I, I haven't seen John Wick 4 yet, but I want to check that yeah. out. Donnie Yen was in Iron, Iron Monkey from the Iron Monkey just recently got a Shout Factory release, too, and that's a very fun oh, movie. Nice. Very I have silly. a Blu-ray of Iron Monkey from years and years ago. And I love that movie. I truly do. That's like that. And Donnie Yen was in Hero. Yes, yes. And he was Ip Man, in, in, Ip Man in film. Zhang Yimao's Hero. Yep. Uh, Hero and Ip Man was he. That's where I think a lot of people came to yes. to know him. Um, great actor. He was in uh, uh, Star Wars Rogue One, and uh, great great actor. And like I say, you can check him out right now. I was very happy to see him in uh, John Wick Four. That's awesome. okay. Our final. Uh, we're we're not too far off on time. Trey, what's your number three movie? Yeah, so speaking of Hong Kong action stars, my number uh, three is the 2003 Bulletproof Monk Blu-ray. No, that's that's not it. Um, <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bulletproof no. Monk, how uh, dare you? <laughs> um, we're going to go to... April 25th and a movie called mutant action is coming out. And if you're not familiar, Severin's putting this one out and they just recently put out two other films. I think a couple years ago by this director and that is Alex de la Iglesia 
And this is his very first film. Severin put out releases of Day of the Beast and Perdita Durango, which uh, mileage will vary on that last one. But I want to read you guys a brief little synopsis of this one to give you an idea of what you're getting into. (laughs) Um, Waging war against all things glamorous and beautiful, crippled terrorist Action Mutante plot a series of attacks on society's elite and attempt the kidnapping of a wealthy socialite at her elaborate wedding reception. So this, yeah, this is a debut film, and I think it's really good for a first effort. And this is from 92 or 93, I believe. It's not as good as some of other of De La Iglesia's other films, which who I am a big fan of. Dave, I think you and I um, or I talked about him on our horror auteurs episode. Right. And you definitely have his style here. You have his oddball, you know, off the wall kind of comedy bits, uh, black comedy bits kind of thrown in with these um, eccentric characters who are not afraid to go over the top. Um, You've got some of his regulars here, like um, Alex Angulo, and I'm trying to remember uh, uh, Santiago Segura, who were both in Day of the Beast. They were the two stars in that one. Um, And they're back here, but yeah, you do have this terrorist organization made up of Uh, disabled people, and they are going after, you know, the beautiful people. This kind of starts off and you think you're in like a dystopic earth, but it really opens up and it is this kind of wider sci-fi adventure dystopia movie, but it's definitely not going to be for everyone. Um, I think it's pretty decent. And up until this part, I think the biggest part of this is it is coming out in 4K and on Blu-ray, but this is the I think the first time in the U S that this has been released and I really, this is hard to find. I mean, the only time I've watched it is from a YouTube quality um, version of it that I watched a while back, but it's definitely a fun one. And if you do like some of De La Iglesia's other films, I think this one's worth checking out as well. This is a wild movie. This is a very weird movie. <laughs> Yeah, have you seen it, Nathan? I have seen it, but it's been a very long time. I've seen it years and years ago. I, I, I It's a weird thing. Like, I'm trying to s- decide if I enjoyed it or not. I can't really remember. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the characters for me that ultimately put it over. Because there's yeah. some of the stuff, and I'm just like, I, I don't know about this. And the opening, it took a while for it to get me, I feel it like. It, I was probably 45 movie. minutes in. Yeah, his movies are very strange. And the other two you mentioned, he's done some others. He did Witching and Bitching more recently. Yep. And that's a very weird movie. Uh Day of the Beast is just off the wall, uh, but it's more <laughs> horror, so you can kind of latch onto that, I guess. But yeah. uh, I Perdita Durango, I could not get into really at all. No, and um, I'm with you, and I'm with you. But this is just a very strange movie. This is, if you're looking for, of the films we've talked about thus far, and I would venture to say it may be safe to say, of unless Dave really pulls something out of the bag here, uh, that this is the most eccentric movie we'll talk about tonight. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of most of his movies. I don't like Perdita Durango, like I said, but I, I think most of them are hard to pin down on what they are, and it's hard to get a good feeling, but he's got a vibe, and I think he sticks with it throughout his film. So, yeah, that is my number three. Yeah, if you're a guy that likes stuff like Alex Cox's Repo Man, I think, you know, the, the Iglesia may be for you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Dave, how about your second movie? Or your third movie? Your third movie. All right, for my third movie, 
We are going back to the pre-code era. Sweet. William A. Wellman. Wild Bill Wellman. One of the great directors. He directed what was the very first Academy Award winner for Best Picture, Wings. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he did. And he was the best director for that movie because Wild Bill Wellman flew <laughs> for, the, for the French in World War One. And I remember reading, there's, there's a book called The Movies the Men Made about like the, 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 uh, the, the originators of original Hollywood. And William A. Wellman tells a story in that where he's talking about how, you know, he was shot down or he, he landed in enemy territory. And when he was flying for the French at the time, you know, the Americans weren't in the war. This is back in World War I. They weren't in the war at the time, so he enlisted in the French army. And he was flying his plane, and he crash-landed, you know, behind enemy lines, and the French declared him a hero. And William A. Wellman, uh, in this book, you know, The Men Who Made the Movie, said, yeah, I didn't have the heart to tell them that I was showing off for the troops uh, on the ground, and I did a loop-de-loop and lost control of my plane. So I was not a hero. Oh, wow. But anyway, he made him, you know, he was, I'm telling you, William Wellman made some amazing pre-code films. He did Wings, which won the original Best Picture Oscar. And he did a number of other films. He did Wild Boys of the Road, which I think is an amazing movie. That might be his masterpiece. I think Wild Boys of the Road might be his masterpiece. And he did another movie. I watched. I watched a lot of these recently. I watched a lot of uh, William Wellman's films uh, in the in you know in the last couple months. Calls Here Heroes for Sale, which is like an American epic. It captures so many images, so many periods of American history, and does it all in 76 damn minutes. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. But the movie I'm going to talk about is coming out on Blu-ray on April 25th. It is called Safe in Hell. Well, that's a title. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it is. No (laughs) doubt. William A. Wellman, you know, Wild Bill Wellman, uh, he pushed the envelope in a lot of his pre-code films. But I think Safe in Hell, it's not his best. I really think Wild Boys of the Road is his masterpiece. But in this movie, he, let me just, all right, we'll set it up like this. There is, uh, in the opening scene, we meet the lead character, Gilda, played by Dorothy Mackill, a New Orleans prostitute who, after a call from her madam, throws on a slinky dress and heads out to meet her next client. To Gilda's surprise, her date for the evening is Piet, played by Ralph Harold, a former employer who had found himself who had forced himself on her. Piet is a married man 
And when his wife found out what had happened, she had, she basically made, um, who was it? Uh, Gilda's life a living hell. She blamed Gilda for the fact that her husband was cheating on her. And every time Gilda tried to find another job, P.S. wife was there to sort of derail her. So the only job left for her was to be a prostitute. Now, Gilda has a man in her life. He's a sailor. And he comes back, he finds out what she has done. And he's like, yeah, I'm done with you. But the exact moment he does that, the police are showing up because there's a scene where Gilda goes to the um, the hotel where Piet is. And she says, how dare you call for me? And he's like, oh, come on. You know what? I'm paying the money. Just sort of sleep with me, whatever. And she's like, no, screw you. She throws a bottle at him. And she thinks she's killed him. Then she starts a fire in the hotel. And the fire burns out of control. And she thinks that this guy is now dead. This former lover of hers is now dead. So her fiancé at the time, who was about to say, screw you, I want nothing to do with you, all of a sudden you hear the sirens of the police coming, and he's like, okay, I'm going to help you. He loads her onto his boat. He's a sailor. And he takes her to an island in the South Pacific, the only island where the U.S. cannot, they can't extradite her to the United States for any crime she's committed. The problem is, on this island that she's now on, and her, you know, her boyfriend leaves her there. He's like, look, I'll send you money. I'll pay for your room here. Um, just stay here for a while. This is the only safe haven for you. There are other criminals in this hotel where she's staying who are taking advantage of that same rule. And they're lusting after her. Oh, wow. Every damn one of them go up to her room at some point and try to score with her. And she has nothing to do with them. <laughs> that sounds like a pre-code film. <laughs> it does oh, indeed. Pre-code big time. And this is, you know, what's really interesting about William A. Wellman and the movies he made at this time. There are two characters in this movie. The woman who runs the... Uh, desk at this hotel where this main character goes and the bellboy both of them are African American characters and they are among the most respectable, likable characters in this movie you like them more than you do any of the other characters in this film and I think that's one of the great strengths of William Wellman is that when in his pre-co films He took, you know, he didn't care about race. He just looked at the characters themselves and said, yes, this is a good character. This is a bad character. Safe in Hell is a damn good pre-code film. 
I really want to see it. I definitely want to. Oh, I'm it telling you, you got to see, you got to see all of William Mel- Wellman's uh, pre-code films. And I haven't seen Wild I mean, Boys on the Road either, so I do need to. No, Wild Boys on the Road, and um, uh, and what was it? Heroes for Sale. Heroes for Sale is an amazing film, in that it follows a guy from World War One up to the 1930s. And it captures all of the the big social moments, you know, the communist threat, um, the uh, the workers against the the the, uh, the the establishment, everything in that movie. It it plays out like an epic film in seventy six minutes. It feels like the how the West was won. <laughs> it feels which is a three hour movie. Yeah. And William Wellman does it in half that time. Well, I'm. But I'm telling you, I think Safe and you know, I, Safe in Hell is it's the lesser of all three of those films. I think Wild Boys of the Road and um, Heroes for Sale are the stronger films. But Safe in Hell is a damn good movie. Well, I love this kind of thing, so I definitely want to check it out. And I really enjoy those pre-code films i think it's a very interesting that's when there was sort of uh that kind of wild west mentality to hollywood yeah. you know it wasn't it, his manner really was. and yeah let me tell you something about william wellman there's a documentary out there called wild bill hollywood maverick and it's about william a wellman this is a guy who just didn't give a damn he <laughs> he made an enemy of this producer in warner brothers and he was shooting late one night well, he had a manure truck brought in and he put a ramp into this producer's office. No way. And all of the manure into this producer's office. <laughs> he truly didn't give a shit. <laughs> he didn't give a damn. Oh, no. He gave a lot of anything. shit. He gave, he did. You're right. That's not true at all. He gave a lot of shit. <laughs> he gave a lot of shit. Yeah, he really did. And that's William A. Wellman. That's this. That's who he was. You know, he was this guy, you know, he was he was a, he was a character from that time period. He produ- you know, he directed the first best picture Academy Award Wings from 1927. And um he made a lot of movies after that. He he was making movies all the way up into the 50s. He really was. But there's something about those pre-code William A. Wellman films that just really resonate with me. And I think Safe in Hell is even though it's not as good as Wild Boys of the Road or Heroes for Sale, I think it's still a damn good movie. I would give it 8.5 out of 10, and I say definitely check it out. And the Blu-ray, I have it on DVD. Definitely pick up the Blu-ray if you can. It's an archive collection. It's a Warner Brothers archive collection. They tend to be bare bones, but they usually have very nice transfers on those. Films. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, they are very bare bones, but still, it's good we've got them at all, right? Yeah, usually. This is a case, and it's probably going to be true of the movie I'm about to talk about, where the uh, you're just happy to have it in a halfway decent uh, 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 version at all, honestly, with some of these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're happy to have it. And that's how I feel about uh, Safe in Hell. Very cool. And I think I think the archive collection might have a commentary on it. That is true. They do tend to have it. Like if they if there's one available, they often have a commentary. 
half the yeah. time I'm picking up the most obscure crap through this Warner archives. So sometimes yeah. they don't even yeah. have that. Like I'm picking up like a TV movie or something. But. I think some of the loot and stuff's on there, right? I think I got a, I have two pack of one of those. Yes, I believe they did Ghost Ship and uh, Leopard Man. Yeah, well, it was a Ghost Ship. And I think I've got those. They did a handful of those. They did a handful of those double. Yeah, I think I've got the one I've got. I think is Leopard Man and Ghost Ship. Yeah, on DVD. Oh, yeah, Yeah, I do. They they put a whole set out uh, tray. I think that's why. Like they had a whole Val Luton set, and unfortunately, that set hasn't been translated in the same form it was over to Blu-ray. They do have most of those films on Blu-ray now. I think you could pick up relatively cheaply. They've got Ghost Ship and Bedlam together, which aren't necessarily the two strongest of Luton's films, yeah, no. but they're interesting. But yeah, you, you can't go wrong with Val Luton. You just can't. Uh, and on that sort of note, Val Luton, who of course famously was the producer of both The Cat People and The Curse of the Cat People, both movies I love, though they're be- they're both very I love different. Them both too, but I, I think Cat People is definitely the stronger of the two. Yes, I um, I was recently putting together my top ten horror movies for something, and Cat People is actually on that list. I think it's that good. That original cat people with uh, definitely yeah that that absolutely that 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 scene on the bus yes I'd love Man. I would love to do a, a like the anatomy of a scene sort of thing on this podcast or some podcast where you just break down sequences and that whole chase scene that begins in the pool and yes. ends at the bus would be an amazing sort of just like it would be, it would be awesome. uh, thing to to break down and and analyze. But uh, so we've talked a lot of, you know, I think a lot of the films as I picked these, I picked movies that uh, I wanted to emphasize, hey, this is a great film and a new a new transfer or a movie that I really wanted, you know, your general public to say, hey, this is out there. We should go check it out. But I think there's also uh, on this show, I'm definitely going to bring up movies. And I think we probably have all found ourselves there. Dave, you and I, I know found ourselves there many times where you pick up something as the collector, meaning that you pick it up because this movie is symbolic, maybe in, in how it fell in its production slate or the fact that it's never been available. It hardly matters whether this movie will turn out to be any good, but you just sort of, know yet you need it <laughs> and right. uh vinegar syndrome puts out a lot of that kind of stuff uh, oh vinegar syndrome absolutely vinegar syndrome tends to be a lot of the stuff they've been putting out in recent years it's been that stuff that is speaks right to my nostalgia of the 1990 straight to video stuff stuff that really isn't that great but every once in a while vinegar syndrome no let's be honest it's shit <laughs> but it's our shit and that's what matters. it's our shit right it's our <laughs> shit and we love it <laughs> and so vinegar syndrome though has also been reaching way back they have a movie that i'm hoping to review uh very soon called flesh and fantasy which given what vinegar syndrome usually releases that sounds scandalous but it's actually uh it's actually a movie from the 40s and it's a it's a horror anthology uh so they have been pulling these films from the 40s and there's a film coming out on april 25th called the cat creeps and the the cover of this film looks for all the world like something that you would see uh maybe a cover for a movie like the cat people you've got the little black cat you've got the femme fatale sort of in the, the in the corner it's only 58 minutes long okay so you're it's you're under an hour hour. wow it's like an episode of a of the of of the fourth season of the twilight zone or something this came out in 1946 now this is why this interests me 
1946, and it's released by Universal. And somehow, Universal, I think Shout Factory has been released there. Screen Factory has been releasing a number of those older black and white Universal films in sets, usually four at a time. And a lot of the more like kind of obscure ones, like The Cult of the Cobra and things like that. But this one in 1946 is sort of notable. Uh, so it was directed by uh, Ari C. Kenton, who who's done some really fine movies, House of Dracula, Ghost of Frankenstein. The one stands out to me, Island of Lost Souls with Charles Lawton, oh, which is a... Is that from the 30s? Yes. Yeah, from yeah. From the 30s. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. The one, the one with Charles Lawton. Yes, amazing yep. film. Uh, and That uh, is one of the great Island of Dr. Monroe films. Agree. I think I, it might be the best of the Island of Dr. Monroe. You don't like the 97 one, Dave? Well, no, I think I might prefer the <laughs> 30s version. Yes. I no, I, I'm messing with you, I'll Dave. I'll this about the 96 film. There's some great makeup effects, and there are things I like, but that's a hot mess movie. That's a movie. Oh, it's a hot mess with yeah, Marlon Brando. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a hot mess. When your film <laughs> inspires a documentary that's every bit as wild as like. When it inspires a documentary about how shitty that movie was. Yeah, and the documentary is <laughs> twice as good as the film, too, I think. Yeah, yes, it is exactly. twice as good as the film. But there are, I will say, there are interesting things about that film, even though it is not, it does not succeed. But the Island of Lost Souls is very good. It's just also not really a very faithful adaptation of the source material. No, it's not. But but you, Charles Lawton, is amazing in that movie. Who is the law? I am the law. You have to watch that closely because his performance is both ham-fisted and over the top and weirdly subtle at the same time yes <laughs> there is a scene where he twiddles his fingers and he's look and he's and he leans onto the onto the table or whatever behind the the hero and he kind of reclines as if he's like a rubenesque nude in an old right. painting and he kind of like <laughs> he kind of like laughs and 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 tickles his fingers against his mouth it's just so weird if you watch only him for that entire film but i'm getting away from myself here what's interesting about this it's universal pictures we all know the golden age of universal horror right it comes up to the 1940s 1946 this film the cat creeps that was directed by kenton is really the end and kind of marks the end of that golden age of horror that universal did because after the 40 after 46 the only monster movies they do up until one that I'll mention Evan Costello yeah, I've been Costello movies yeah and yeah, then yes. we come back and we get uh the next one that ends up getting made is creature from the Black Lagoon but in my opinion yes. that starts a different sort of era because that belongs more to the sort of 50s monster movies. Yes, it does. Because the creature from Black Lagoon, yes, it, it belongs in the 50s. Yeah. It does. It's, it's almost like it belongs with them. Yes, and 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 uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and the yes, whole, really exactly. the atomic age monster. Even though he's not an atomic monster, he fits into that mold, I think. Yeah. Uh, amazing film, but just not quite of the same uh, spiritual ilk as these, I think. I, now, right. we... Uh, Universal horror fans, they see them as the collection of monsters. And this is not a monster film. I actually haven't seen this film, but I want to get it just knowing that it is that film that sort of rounds out that 40 streak of films. 
And I have a I have a soft spot for, as you guys know, because I send you the pictures of all the crap that I buy here, uh, for <laughs> cat horror, for horror films involving cats. Yeah. I, gotta- I really, one day I'm going to get a, a full-blown cat horror episode of something. But uh, I just bought Strays recently from the 90s, which uh, not a... Oh, that movie is not so good. <laughs> not so good. It's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not so good in the best way, Dave. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I had a lot of fun watching it with my kids, but... It's, it's not... It's not. Yeah, it's a fun movie, but yeah, yeah it's not so good. This one, I'm going to read the synopsis because I haven't seen this, but this is more of the old dark house kind of movie uh, in it, or like a movie like the cat and the canary and actually cat and the canary from the twenties was remade as a movie called the cat creeps. It was sort of a lost film. And yeah, then, there was a cat and the canary with Bob Hope in, in 1939. Yeah. I think that one is different though. This was like a, a, a horror film. And then there was a lost horror, a horror, a movie that was called the cat creeps. This is not that one either. This, the plot of this is a wealthy widow sends a $1,000 bill to the local newspaper to the local newspaper claiming murder, blackmail, a corrupt politician, and a $200,000 fortune to be had. It's up to reporter Terry Nichols and photographer Pidge Flash Laurie to figure out the nefarious plot and clear the politician's name. But they won't be alone. Among the colorful cast, yeah, among the colorful cast of characters are Terry's beautiful fiance, a lawyer with his feline phobic secretary, a very deceiving private eye, and finally a mysterious woman and her even stranger black cat which may be involved with the murder itself. This wow. is a movie about a black cat that may be possessed by the murderous spirit of a dead woman. So wow. <laughs> all of those elements, I don't know about you, Dave, but I almost don't even care if this movie's not any good because I want to see yeah, all that yeah, stuff on screen. alone makes you want to watch it. Right. And this is coming out on a Blu-ray. I'm sh- and here's the thing. From what I understand, this is restored from a 35-millimeter dupe negative that they kind of pulled out of the vault. It's vinegar syndrome, so they always have a nice case and everything. You know, they always cover. do, yes. It's a very well-put-together production. I want to have it just because I have most of those other old Universal films. I have a... I have a soft spot for these kind of old dark house mystery movie anyway, even if it doesn't usually most of them end up not being full blown horror. You know, there's always a rational explanation for the, the, the mystery. Uh, It's like Scooby-Doo in that way, I guess, but I'm intrigued. I haven't seen it, but I want to own it. It comes out on the 25th. You can get it through vinegar syndrome right now. And I'm sure eventually be able to get it on Amazon also. Nice. That's that's interesting to see one of those older titles on Vinegar Syndrome and also that they're able to kind of get a print of this thing, because I feel like most of those that they'd be able to pull something out of, we've already, you know, we know about and it's been talked about a lot or it's never going to be able to be recovered. So that's pretty interesting, Nathan, to pull that one out of the. It may be because it is a lesser known movie. And like I say, that Flesh and Fantasy stars Edward G. Robinson, but I had never heard of it before. Had you, Dave? No, I have not. So I think they're starting to do more of that. And I'm in. Edward, Edward G. Robinson is, a, is an actor who I really admire. Oh, yeah. And this movie looks very good. This uh, Flesh and uh, Flesh and Fantasy looks really good. This one looks fun, too. What year is it? Uh, I got to check the year on that one. I have it sitting here on the shelf. But this. Um, I like because the Edward G. Robinson, Night of a Thousand Eyes, The Red House. Yeah, he's. I mean, he he was really. Uh, he was a powerhouse back in the day. He's another of those he really great was. sort of he character really actors that wouldn't have been out of place 
in those Maltese Falcon type films that we were talking about earlier. No, absolutely not. Um, but I'm, I I don't know if the cat creeps. I, I haven't heard a lot about it as a Herald is a classic. So I'm sure it probably isn't. It is very short. Understand it's 58 <laughs> minutes. But again, I think this is the one that falls into the collector vein. You know, if you, if, yeah. if you are a big fan of those universal films and I am honestly one of my favorite eras of horror and really any kind of film with the forties. So, um, oh, yeah. I'm so now, be honest. Did you pick that one out because you knew the history or because it was the cat creeps called the cat creeps? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the cover of this film. Th- this is my kind of movie. Like I, and cats are creepy to me. I have two of them and they're extremely creepy. While we were watching strays, the one went over and just started batting my daughter's head with its paw, you know, right in the middle of a jump scare. So they know what they're doing. I mean, Oh, you, you don't have to convince me. I, we used to have a cat and it would attack yeah. me and bite my ankles every night while I was going to bed. So right. I was terrified. Of but I love, I think they add so much to the ambiance of these types of movies. And again, it's probably the cat people. Once I saw the cat people, you could sell me just about anything with a cat in it. And I'd uh, I'd be up for it. So, anything else, guys, that you see coming out on this uh, this roster? There's a lot of great stuff. I'll put the link in the show notes to the Blu-ray.com. It's a great resource because you've got the whole release dates for the month. And what's nice is at the very top. I think this is one of the coolest things about this site is that they always have the Blu-ray deals at the top of the page. And they, yeah. It's yeah. like an aggregate of all the places that have movies on sale right now. And so you can look right up there. It's, it's very dangerous for me because I could just look up there and be like, oh, look <laughs> at this. And I'm just, I mean, right now at the top of this page, Star Trek First Contact in 4K is on sale for $18.54. So wow. that's at Amazon. That's where I picked it up and uh, just came today. Actually, it looks like all of those films and include, and you can get the four set for 69 bucks, or you can get each one sort of for 18 54 so uh star trek generations is on there and if you click on that bless yeah I, i'm not getting any uh, kickback for this yet guys but uh the best blu-ray movie deals you can see all of them there so i usually use that as a resource anything else you guys see coming out you want to mention before we close this down dave i want to get your take on something because i haven't seen this movie but it looks like there's a 4k of uh the powerhouse is putting out of two orphan vampires from roll in are you you amazed we are you amazed we have a 4k of that (laughs) yeah okay of that yeah (laughs) wow inconceivable really i don't (laughs) inconceivable yes and and you know what god bless them the shiver of the vampire too (laughs) they've they've... yeah yeah yeah. was that in 4k too it was a 4k but they got a new release of it i mean yeah powerhouse indicator is really kind of popping to the forefront it's a it's an international label. It's an overseas, but a lot of their stuff is uh, region free, which is nice. Yeah, that's really cool. But Redemption did a lot of uh, Jean Roland's movies. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a lot of those. I just haven't seen those two in particular. Yeah, I do um, too. The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, Nicholas Rogue's film with David Bowie, is coming to fork. Wow, that's a. I like that film. I haven't seen it in many years though. Have you seen it, Dave? No, I, it's been at least 20 years since I've yeah, seen it. Yeah, it. it's been a while for me as well. Uh, very cool animated series. In fact, I'd love to talk about it on Illustrated Fan sometime. Uh, Jenny Jendi Tartakovsky, who was known for doing the Clone Wars back in the day, the oh, Earth, yeah. and also did uh, the Powerpuff Girls, did Primal, which is 
kind of Conan, Turok, you know, Conan with dinosaurs, Dave, uh, almost yeah. silent for most of it, but gets really bloody, wow. but also gets really uh, complex in its storytelling. Really cool. Particularly, I know you and I uh, reviewed Fire and Ice. Uh, this is uh, takes that and just takes it to the next level. Wow. So, yeah, it's a, it's a series. It's a guy that did a lot of uh, Cartoon Network stuff, kind of doing an adult oriented show. I guess you could argue something like Samurai Jack was could have been yeah. towards both, but I think this is him fully going in that. that it's got the direction. blood and the gore of, of and the dinosaurs. Yeah. And it's something like you would see, like from a Bakshi. Like it has that level of ambition to it. Like, you know, they, they really dropped a lot of amazing classics at the same time. I mentioned the Maltese Falcon, but they also were revealed. They, they dropped rebel without a cause in 4k. They dropped cool hand Luke in 4k. I mean, both of those are amazing films yep. and 12 angry men. 12 the only angry thing about that is criterion did a release of that one. So I'm not sure if the 4k is going to be an appropriate upgrade, even though it's only on blu-ray with criterion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, very, very true. Uh, they've got an old Lon Chaney film, uh, Lon, not Lon Chaney Jr., but Lon Chaney from the 2020s, The Trap from 1922. So I'm interested uh, in that one. You are right. Bulletproof Monk is indeed <laughs> coming out. <laughs> A fun movie from the 90s called Year of the Comet. A really good movie, um, I think, from the early 2000s. Uh, A Patrice LeConte film, Man on the Train from 2002. Did you ever see that one, Dave? No, Which, no, I have not. Fantastic film. Highly recommend it. I think it was on my top 10 of 2002. A, uh, a Chinese thriller called Calamity of Snakes that looks like maybe the Chinese version of Snakes on a Plane, but maybe Snakes in an Apartment. I can't quite tell. <laughs> uh, House of a Thousand Corpses looks like it's getting a kind of deluxe edition. Yes, it's getting a, lo- a deluxe release. So that's pretty and cool. I, I put in a pre-order for that. And guys, you know, if 4K was made for anything, it was made for Flashdance. And uh, April 11th. <laughs> They're digging deep at this point. I, I would watch Flashdance in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the best movies of this year that really I think should have, uh, it, it, it got kind of eclipsed in the Oscar run, I think. But After Sun, uh, really great indie film. Uh, extremely good performances, very, uh, very dramatic, but I think it just kind of ran under the radar that saw releasing April 7th. Uh, I think it directly, this might be one you can get directly from a 24 as always a 24 is killing it. They, I mean, they're, they're dominating in almost all genres. They got their, you know, they have a best picture again, as a result of everything everywhere all at once. But after some was a really good movie too, a little bit more understated than those other films, but, uh, well worth seeing. Um, Living, this is the last one I'll mention, Living is coming out on April 11th, and that is a remake of Ikiru uh, set sort of, you know, it, it takes it from Japan and puts it in uh, in Britain, and it stars Bill Nighy as the central character. Uh, very good movie. Not as good as Ikiru, but, uh, but really good nonetheless. I remember hearing about that. Was that you that probably told me about that one? I but did. I actually uh... saw this one at Sundance not this past, not this year, but last year. And then it finally, it got a kind of release toward the end of the year. And I think it was, I, I, I'm trying to remember what it was up for. I think Bill Nye might've been up for an award. I know that this was up for something during the Oscars, but uh great movie. Has anyone here seen Ikaru? 
no. Kurosawa film. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I did that. That was a strong movie. Yeah, that really very was. good. And this is this is an, a, another variation on it. Um, there, and it's actually you know there that screenplay is credited because it really is a remake. Uh, Serpico in 4K should be cool. Um, oh, wow. I and Dave, have you ever seen the, a movie called The Haunting of Julia from 1977? No, I haven't either. I'm curious about it. Looks like that might be Screen Factory. Um, yeah. Anything else that you guys have? I do want to see Marlowe with Liam Neeson. I haven't seen it yet. It was at the theaters and uh, where he's playing Philip Marlowe, but I haven't seen the film. It comes out April 18th. Uh, Infinity Pool, I think, is coming out as well as far as new releases. Oh, yeah. Infinity Pool is a wild movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Triangle Sadness is going right to Criterion. Uh, on yeah, April that makes sense. It fits. Yeah. And Suicide Club, which is a very weird movie uh, from 2001. I remember it had a bizarre opening scene where a bunch of schoolgirls jump in front of a train. Um, anything else anybody has? I don't think I did. Dave, you got anything? Nope. Okay. Uh, okay, wait. I did just scroll past Birdemic, the, uh, the oh, entire no. series. Oh, my God. Birdemic. Out under Dave Becker. Wings of Disaster. And I don't think – I know, Dave, I thought you mentioned you picked these up recently, but this is the box set from yeah. Severin. And they have – No, I didn't pick up the box set, but I picked up the first Birdemic shock and horror movie. Okay, so the third one is called something like Sea Eagle or something like that. So. Oh, my God. The fact they made more than one of these shitty movies. Well, the third one looks like uh, – it's called Birdemic 3 Sea Eagle, and it, 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 it looks like it's referencing the painting Starry Night. <laughs> <laughs> from what I can tell from the cover. Uh, and the, the plot just says, a flock of sea eagles attack the coastal town of Santa Cruz, California. Why did the birds attack? Who will survive? And really, who does? Who cares? But um, <laughs> Birdemic is, is uh, yeah, there's a level of I'm making a bad movie on purpose, and then there's Birdemic where you just seem like you are, uh, you know, a sadist and you want to hurt people. <laughs> But that's it for Phantom Video this uh, this week. Uh, we did pretty good. We came in just 10 minutes over what I was aiming for. Um, but looking forward to next time. Uh, very quickly, I will mention that what's going to happen next time. Uh, Dave and I were doing for a while, and it was over at DVD Infatuation. We were doing the DVD six-pack where we would pick six movies and we would talk about them and then we would have a lot of different features in there and we would do we were doing a series at that point on um nicholas ray the films of nicholas ray we didn't do all the films but we did a lot and i have to i have to say dave that was one of the most fun things because i had seen very few nicholas ray movies and uh i loved every single one we reviewed um there were some that were stronger than others but i saw at least three masterpieces in there uh in a Lonely Place, Johnny Guitar, and uh, um, what's the one with um, uh, with uh, James Mason, um, Bigger Than Life. And all three of those were, were great. So Dave and I will be doing that. We're also going to pick a new sort of uh, author to follow. And it, I mentioned earlier, we are going to do John Sales. And so we'll have a, new, a John Sales film, and then each of us picked uh, two movies, and we threw a third one in there. So we'll have three movies, the John Sales, and then... Uh, Trey will have a segment on anime next time. And then the thing that I want all the uh, to put out there for everyone who's listening and a way we can be a part of this is on Facebook page. Uh, once this episode comes out, I will put up a page where we're going to 
uh, almost in a book club sort of format. We're going to mention a movie and then give everyone a chance to see it and then review it next time on the show. And it it does. You don't have to watch the uh, the brand new version that's out. But uh, for those who want to pick it up, we are going to do Dragon Slayer from 1981. It's come out in a brand new 4K release. Uh, looks amazing. I got to see a few minutes of it. There's even a full blown commentary on there by Gil- Guillermo del Toro, who did not direct the film, but has worked with director uh, Matthew Robbins on other things, including the uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark remake. And so that's going to be the film. We're going to put it out uh, for everyone to watch. I'm going to put out a Facebook post when we get closer to the time. And then everyone can sort of uh, leave their responses. Uh, by that point, we should also have a, a number where you can call in and leave voicemails and things like that. And then we will share that when on the show when we, the three of us, review it. So Dragon Slayer 1981. I believe it's also streaming right now on Prime. But right now you can get the 4K for, for about... Uh, $19, which I think is really good. It is a very good set. So that's all going to be next time. Uh, We are going to be aiming to release these every two weeks. You'll be seeing this one come out at the same time as a Phantom Galaxy episode as we're jumping back into everything. And that'll give you most of April to seek out some of these releases. I'm going to go ahead and go around the horn here. Trey, tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on screaming through the ages where I dive into a different horror movie history topic um, every two weeks. And recently, Nathan, you were on and we discussed the horror movies of 1991 and ran down our top 20s of that year. Um, Dave, you've been on before as well. Um, I've got some I think I've got some just come up with some exciting things for the next couple episodes. So hopefully uh, those go well. But I also We'll probably be here a lot more on Phantom Galaxy as well. But yeah, it was a great time. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Nathan. It's always good to talk to you too about releases. Yeah, this is fun. I always enjoy this episode so much because it kind of gives me a chance to kind of take inventory of what's coming out. Uh, yeah, so that's the fan of video. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon. And what we will have in the meantime is a little bit more detailed information about what these episodes will look like. We're coming up with new segments that we want to do for this show, and we want to make it as interesting as possible. Uh, but I do want to sort of keep casting the light on releases and, and home releases and physical media because I, I'm a big fan of that. I know Trey and Dave are as well. And uh, I think it's cool to be able to hear a little bit about Uh, these films when they're coming out and when i get a chance to see the cat creeps i'll let everyone know what i thought so this is uh phantom video signing out good night everyone